Habakkuk had asked God to deal with the wickedness in his own country, Judah. But God told him that things would get even worse. Judah would be conquered by a fierce enemy, the Chaldeans. It's the same as the Babylonians. Babylon was their capital city. His response to that is, how can you do that? They are worse than we are. Well, last week we left Habakkuk waiting for an answer. He had a relationship with God which led him to expect a response. He didn't go off in a half. No, he trusted that God would show him more by way of explanation. So he settled down to wait. This may well have been a lonely thing to do. Prophets were often rather solitary. They had a vision and mission and purpose which others seldom shared. There will be time in our prayer life when we have to wait on God by ourselves and perhaps be unable to share the burden of what concerns us. Like a watchman, Habakkuk was ready to raise the alarm. And the answer came. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The message from the Lord was for everyone. In a time when only a few people could read, news was published on boards in the public square. Those who could read would tell others. If it was urgent, they might run to tell everyone. News is still posted this way in China. In God's good time, the vision would be fulfilled and there would be an end to the power of Babylon. But it would not come immediately. God's people must wait patiently, confident that God will do what he promises, even if it seems to take a long time. As he announced to Jeremiah, I am watching over my word to perform it. And to Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Then comes the nub of the message in verse 4. This is the principle by which we are to live, the way to survive in a shifting world. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not right, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. I rather like the New Living Translation of this verse. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Despite the crookedness of other people, whether of the enemy or the faithless people of Judea, the righteous person shall live by his faith or faithfulness. Faithfulness is the outcome of faith in a faithful God. Faith that does not result in faithfulness is bogus, not really faith at all. Faith and character go together. There are two ways to live, either turning from God or turn towards him. The Bible constantly repeats this message. Andy will have more to say on it next week. The next verse mentions wine. The Chaldeans were known for excess wine drinking. It seems to have fueled other forms of addiction as well, to sexual indulgence and greed and conquest. The Chaldean people are seen as sucking in all the peoples around them to support their self-indulgent lifestyle. 
he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. That's what empires do. But in verse 6, we find that this will not last forever. These conquered people will one day turn and mock their conqueror. God will bring the arrogant down. He knows how to execute justice. This leads us into five woes. First, woe to the greedy who exploits others for his own gain. God is always on the side of the underdog. One day the exploited will turn on their oppressors. Second, woe to the one who exploits others to build a grand house to make himself secure. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, built a vast palace complex with world-famous hanging gardens. The ruins can still be seen today. Third, woe to the one who builds a city with bloodshed, killing and enslaving others to do it. Ultimately, this is doomed to failure because God will fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. All earthly glory will vanish. The ruins of Babylon today give some idea of its former splendour, but that is nothing to the glory of God. He does not allow proud rulers to continue forever. Fourth, woe to the one who urges others to get drunk and join in their orgies. Those who like their drink love to persuade others to join them and find it funny when they lose control and act foolishly. As so often, drunkenness is associated with sexual licence and self-indulgence of all kinds. It ends in tragedy and disgrace. So God declares that human pride will be laid low. He will not allow arrogant empires to stand unchecked. There is the destruction of the natural world here too. Nebuchadnezzar famously cut down Lebanon's forest in his campaigns and God would hold him to account for that. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. God's judgment is not always a supernatural act, like a great fist from heaven. In fact, that is not usually how empires end. They crumble and divide and are conquered by an opportunist enemy. Babylon was conquered while their drunken king parted by the Medes and Persians, who were conquered by Greece under Alexander the Great and so on. Rulers and nations which are proud and self-sufficient who act in their own interest without caring a fig for those whom they exploit, are sowing the seeds of their own destruction. History illustrates this again and again. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, as Proverbs 16.18 puts it. God knows how to deal with it. The fifth woe is to those who make idols and say that they are gods. Isaiah had lots to say about idolatry and its stupidity, including two leading Babylonian gods, for example in Isaiah 46. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, 
all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I'm sure Habakkuk would have said, Amen. We worship the living God who does not need to be carried about. Instead, he carries us, even to old age and grey hairs. When times are hard and the difficulties seem to persist unreasonably, we're tempted to put our trust in something other than God himself. Some of us got very excited when the COVID vaccines first appeared. But the situation was perhaps more complicated than we realise. Some people refuse the vaccine. Supplies are not consistent and have not reached the poorest countries. And the virus throws up new variants which make things more difficult. And governments do not always act in the best way when under pressure. Human ability and ingenuity can do a lot. But ultimately, it is God who calls the shots. Let's determine afresh to wait on God and to put all our hope in him. As a response, I would invite you to meditate on Psalm 62 to renew your trust in God. <laughs> 